Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Today's episode of Reality Bites is brought to you by Fab Skin Hot Bodies with Dr. Jeanette Graff. It's a brand new podcast about keeping your body and skin looking toned and young. Sounds good to me. Join Dr. Graff, world-renowned dermatologist, author, and skincare researcher, as she interviews famous stylists, makeup artists, and fitness gurus in order to bring you the best advice possible. No beauty or skin topic is off limits, so whether you're looking for the best way to remove cellulite or how to get the perfect tan without damaging your skin, Dr. Graff has you covered. Check her out today, Fab Skin Hot Bodies with Dr. Jeanette Graff, but first, today's episode of Reality Bites. Hey guys, welcome to Reality Bites, a podcast about sex, love, relationships, and dating in the digital age. I'm your host, Courtney Kosak, and I am very excited about today's guest. I have super prolific author and filmmaker Stephen Elliott, uh, maybe best known for Adderall Diaries. I think that's probably true. That's probably true, but there's so much other stuff out there. I was telling him when he first arrived that he was like my hardest guest to research so far because there was just so much stuff. I was like, ah. I already know these things, but I could keep digging forever and ever in online essays and the rumpus and the whole the whole nine. So thank you for coming. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, I most recently you're working on a web series. Yeah, driven. Driven. Um, everyone should. There's like a, a day or two left on the cr- crowdfunding. I'm gonna release this right away. So. Mm. Uh, well, so we've done six episodes already. Yes. And but you're doing another drive, right? We're doing. Uh, we're doing. A, uh, Antonia Crane is doing a fundraising drive for the next uh, episode that we'd like to do because the episodes we've done so far have each been like, you know, like eight hundred dollars each. So uh-huh. I've just been self-funding them. Uh-huh. But uh, and I wrote them. But Antonia wrote an episode that's a little more complicated. Ah. Uh, and also, it's the episode that shifts us from New York to Los Angeles. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. And so she's been doing a fundraising drive for that. So now is the plan like the ones after the ones that you've already released are going to be set in L.A.? Yeah. yeah. Oh, so that's the, really cool. The first seven of them will be set in New York, and then after that they'll be set in, in Los Angeles. I love that. And do you have plans down the road to turn this in beyond the web? You know, I mean, ideally... <laughs> I, <laughs> totally. um, you know, I've made I've made six episodes so far. It's a pretty simple concept. You know, it's about I started writing it on election day, um, and it's about a guy who is a writer and doesn't want to be a writer anymore and becomes uh, a driver instead for Panda Car. Kind of an Uber esque. Kind of like a Lyft. Yeah. And then, uh, it really, it just follows the people that he meets that come into the car, follows them into their lives and kind of crazy, Mm -hmm. 
ways in which different people are being, uh, mostly in, in ways in which people are being impacted by the current political environment. Mm-hmm. So it's, they're only like eight minutes each and they're funny, mm-hmm. but they're also... Very funny. But there's also something, you know, as a commentary on, yeah, on, totally. on the current environment, you know. And especially apropos to this show, there's a little bit of your character's sex life sprinkled in. Yeah, a little bit. I, you know, in episodes, let's see. So in episodes one and episodes five, there's uh-huh. definitely kink. I mean, the first episode, uh, the character that I play, Paul, um, you know, first he's recognized, he picks up a, a famous writer, Mike Cunningham, uh-huh. playing uh-huh. himself. And Mike Cunningham recognizes him and is like, oh, we're you know, writer's convention together and it's really kind of awkward. And But then after that, you know, uh, Paul's girlfriend, who he lives with, she goes to see a client. She's working as a professional dominatrix. Uh-huh. And my character also goes to see a professional dominatrix. So while his girlfriend is... Yeah, is, I love that. That's so funny. Well, that's totally based in reality. Because that's literally what happened to me on election day. Oh, really? Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> so I was... Yeah, I was dating a, a woman for... I don't know, a little less than a year. She was working as a professional dominatrix. Um, and I was losing my mind because it was, you know, what was going on on election day. And, uh, but she was doing it overnight with a client. Uh-huh. And I just needed to be tied up, you know? Uh-huh. And so I paid someone $300 to do this thing that my girlfriend does and is happy to do you know, she just couldn't do it right then because she was with a client on an overnight. And that was, you know, the inspiration for the episode. We were also, I th- we were having a lot of problems in our relationship, uh-huh. you know. Um, we had this kinky relationship and we weren't really being sexual or anything. And so it was a really bizarre situation. I mean, like, who does that? Who pays to see a professional dominatrix when... You're dating a professional dominatrix who is happy to do these things for you, and who, you know who are also so insanely beautiful, and you know. Right. So I would pay someone. It's it's. Did she know? Oh yeah, I mean we were we were wide open. Uh huh. You know, um, and we had a we were you know we were poly I guess is the term, but um, more I'd say we were just open. And uh, yeah, I'm not. I've never cheated on anybody, you know. So yeah, she knew. Um, but still, it's but it like just an made odd, me th- yeah. It made me think a lot, like, what's that all about, you know? And so there's kind of, <laughs> a, a lot of that is kind of, you know, thought through and dealt with, I think, in the first episode. And then episode five kind of bookends that, uh-huh. you know, where uh, my character meets a woman and that kind of inspires him to go home and be very amorous with his girlfriend who is like, what's gotten into you? You haven't been like this. And then she's like, you know, and she's studying for her LSAT exam. And she's like, you know, would you, do you need some time in the straitjacket? And, <laughs> you know, and so, yes. <laughs> and so she puts him in the straitjacket and hood and then gets back to her studying, you know. So those are the two m- moments of, like, serious kink in the first uh, six episodes. And I would say... Was the fifth also based in reality? Mm, yeah, well, yes and no. I had a previous girlfriend who was also a dominatrix that I had met. Um, I used to be an LSAT instructor. Uh-huh. And so I was her LSAT instructor, and she was trying to go to law school. And 
she had said to me, you know, she wanted help with her personal statement, and she was like, you know, I don't know what to put in my personal statement for my applications because uh, all I've done for the last four or five years, are, you know, is like strip, been a stripper and a dominatrix, uh-huh. and I was like, well, I don't know what you should write, but what are you doing for dinner, you know? And we ended up dating. Um, well, I we ended up that. dating a little bit then, and then 15 years later, as we've been friends for 15 years, and she'd gotten married, and she was. Uh, Is this Lizette from your book? No, it's Different. not Lizette. Oh, okay. Different. Some similarities. I can see whether <laughs> you'd see similarities there. Um, but yeah, so I ended up. We ended up dating again, and so the idea of somebody. And then with my ex, you know, we did have this straight jacket, and she would certainly use it. And and she would also she would she would put a straight jacket on me, and she would put a hood on me when she wanted, often because she wanted something else, right? Like something non-sexual. Actually, <laughs> in particular, with my my recent ex, who I'm still I'm still very good friends with. We were just talking on the phone earlier this morning, actually. Um, it was more that she wanted something sexual, and I was not sexual. Right, like I'm, I don't like sex. I don't like regular. I don't like the things that you think of as sex. I'm just not into them at sure, all. Sure, penetrative. I'm just not into penetrating anybody. Mm-hmm. And she was like really into being penetrated. Like I want to be fucked right yeah. now. Yeah. And so she would just kind of like a trick, you know. And and she would like get me all turned on, and I'd be in a straitjacket, and I'd be hooded. I couldn't see anything. Uh-huh. And then she would like, and then when I was really getting, you know, um, maybe she would. We would do some other things, maybe a flogger or some needles or something, uh-huh. and then and then she would climb on top of me when I wasn't really expecting it, and and that would happen. Ah. That happened a number of times, you know. I didn't really like that. No, <laughs> 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 you know, it wasn't exactly consensual. How, so yeah. How do you negotiate that in your relationships? Negotiations are you know are tricky. Negotiations and consent are like way more complicated than I think we've laid them out to be, especially mm-hmm. in kink relationships, you know. Um, Do you find that, so, okay, a fair number, I mean, just judging from the beginning of our conversation and some of your work that I know, a lot of your relationship history has had dominatrix girlfriends, is know, that right? My last four serious girlfriends have all been dominatrices. So in the last, we're talking like 12 years. Yeah. I've had like four serious relationships. All with dominatrix? Well, the first one was somebody who had worked previously. Uh-huh. Um, it's it's a funny thing, you know, in, in the fetish world. Partly, First off, you know, I was a sex worker in my 20s, and I worked at kink.com also in San mm-hmm. Francisco. And so partly it's like I come in contact with um, this, you know, uh, population a lot, you know, and of course I'm part of the kinky community and I'm out about being kinky. And so, right. and so there's not, there's no point in me trying to date somebody who isn't kinky. Like, I mean, I, I, I've made some attempts previous and I would not even bother again, you know, cause we're just not like, if you're gay, you don't date somebody who's not gay, you know, like it's just, well, right. Right. You know, um, and that's primarily, I mean, I heard you on another podcast and you were like, BDSM is my sexuality. Yeah, that's 100% true. And I think that if you're, oftentimes, if you're dating someone who's really attractive in the, in the BDSM community and, and they're really lifestyle and they're going to a lot of events and they're really, most of those people have worked as a pro. 
they're either working as a pro or they have been a pro at least for a moment. Oh, I see. You know, because it's like if BDSM is your life and you're really part of the community and you're really attractive. You might as well make some money from it. It's just, it's, it's really, <laughs> it'd be, it, it, I would say it's unusual for someone to not have worked as a pro if you're really in that world deeply and you're really attractive. Uh-huh. It's, I mean, this, you know, it certainly, hap- it certainly exists, but I, I would bet something like 80%, you know, sure. of those people have at least done it. So it's, and I think also because I was a sex worker myself and, you know, I went, I was on tour with the Sex Workers Art Show and it's my community. And so I don't know, I've thought about it. Like, it's weird in a way that so many of my girlfriends have been pro-doms, but in another way, maybe it isn't, No, I I think it totally follows. And when we were emailing, you were like, you know, this in some ways limits the dating pool for me because it's like... My dating pool is severely limited. My dating pool is like five people and I've dated them, you know? That's why they're coming back around every 15 years. Yeah. Yeah. My, my dating pool is like in just insanely narrow, you know, it just gets smaller all the time. Uh-huh. Um, so you talked about working as a sex worker in your 20s. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So what was your entry? What was your foray into that? The thing was that I was a stripper. You know, uh-huh. in the gay clubs in Chicago. Okay. Yeah, in my early 20s. And how did you, could, because you were, okay, so just to catch people up uh, that maybe haven't read Adderall Diaries or some of your other work, you left home at 13. True, yeah, I left home at 13 and I, and I was homeless for a year. I, I don't think it's really related to sex work, but I was homeless for a year when I was, and then I was... And then I was... Uh, Not related to sex work, but fascinating. <laughs> well, the, the, state, the, the state took custody of me after a year. I was, I was arrested, sleeping in a hallway in Chicago. And by that time, my father had moved. And so I didn't know my parents lived because my mother had passed away. Uh-huh. And so the state took custody of me. And I became a ward of the state. Uh-huh. So that was kind of, you know, that was a big event, I guess, of my, of my childhood. And then I spent the rest of my childhood in group homes um and then i went to college which you said like there was kind of a party vibe in some of them like in the in the group homes yeah oh yeah i mean like they were some of them were very violent but they were also you know they were chaotic in good and bad ways right Uh i mean like we're up drinking and drugging in the middle of the night shooting dice you know just having the greatest time imaginable we're just kids, you know, uh-huh. like 15 years old. And the staff, the overnight staff won't come upstairs. Uh-huh. They're like not, they've been told not to. It's just for security. Mm-hmm. So for them to come upstairs, they would have to call back up. Mm-hmm. And there's only one staff working. And so it's just a raging party. I remember at one point we're like playing a game of dice. And all the kids, I think, I'm pretty sure I was on acid. I mean, we were really <laughs> out of our minds. <laughs> and somebody's cigarette like rolls under the bed. This one kid is sleeping. This kid, Dante. And, and... And the, and the floor lights on fire under the bed, and we're looking oh at this God. like little, you know, just a little flame, like a wick of a like a lighter, you know. And we're looking at it, and then somebody, maybe I think it was me, somebody jokes, you know, Dante starring in the burning bed, you know. <laughs> and then somebody says, you know, his hottest role ever. And then somebody else is like, a star is born, and it's just this thing, and we're laughing, and nobody is putting out this fire, uh-huh. you know. That I and think downstairs, they don't even know what's going on. They know, but they can't do anything about it. You know, so because so that's the upside of the group homes, and the downside is also you get beat up a lot, and people steal your stuff, and like it's this kind of like 
you live in terror, you know, and you live in hard knocks, right? You grow up fast. I guess so. You know, if that's what growing up is, I don't know. I don't know if that's what growing up is, right? Uh, Or you're exposed to a lot. There's definitely a lot of violence, but it's a lot of fun also. It's like, Uh it's like really good and really bad, you know? Um, Yeah. I mean, definitely like for me, leaving home was a really good decision. Uh-huh. I would not have turned out. I would have turned out even worse had I not left home. So, you know, that's the um, that's the calculus of it. Yeah, you know, totally. But then I get to college, and I'm at uh, University of Illinois, and then but then I get out of college, and I start shooting heroin and working as a stripper. Uh-huh. You know, and then I like overdose on heroin, and I'm like, I can't move for eight days, and then I go to graduate school. You know, it's not, it's not like this kind of like straight line. It's more like. It's just up and down and up and down, you know. It's it's like that that chaos. I feel like it's kind of followed me, you know. And and sometimes people are like, "Oh, how did you survive the group homes?" And I'm just like, "I didn't survive the group homes. Like, what makes you think I survived the group homes?" Yeah, I guess you know? everyone has an idea of what they think that that would be like mm-hmm. without any experience with yeah, it. Yeah, you know? yeah. So it's so there was no safety net though, right? Were you in contact with your dad? Not at some points I was, but Uh there was yeah there was no safety net, you know, there was no there was no there was no going home. Yeah, you know. I guess that to me is the only line between the sex work and the upbringing Mm. factor is just like you're not gonna call your dad when you know whatever some unexpected expense Mm. shows up. I don't know. Yeah, no, I guess not. Yeah. You know, I think there were times in my 20s when he when he gave me a little money. Uh-huh. Like we, were t- we were in communication again, and we were trying to, like, we were trying, you know. Um, but, yeah, basically not. And, and it's been, in a way, it's been good for me because people are, like, for some people it's probably harder to come out of the closet about their sexuality. Uh-huh. You know, like, what about your family? You know, what the family's going to think. And I don't have to worry about that. Yeah. You know, though it was still hard. I didn't actually come out of the closet until I was, like, 30. You know, because I think that I grew up in such a macho environment. Ah. You know, that like the idea, like I like to wear dresses and be like a sissy and like be uh-huh. very submissive and vulnerable and like, um, and that's, you can't be a sissy in a group homes, right? So. Oh, really? Yeah, you cannot. <laughs> <laughs> that is not going to fly. You know, not in the Chicago group homes that I was in. Maybe in California, you know, maybe sure. in San Francisco. Sure. But, um, in fact, I volunteered at a group home in San Francisco for a while, and it was interesting, all the transgender kids and stuff. It was really cool. Uh-huh. But there was none of that in Chicago uh-huh. when I was there. And, and, and I was just about the only white kid, too. Right. You know, there's really, in the group homes in Chicago, are like they're like all black. And, um, you know, yeah, it's not that, e- like you kinda, it's not that easy to land in a group home in Chicago. You kind of mm-hmm. have to, you have to have a record. You have to have done something wrong. There's a reason you're not in foster care. Gotcha. And you're in a group home instead, right? So you're already kind of, you're kind of far down the chain. And um, yeah, so those places, so I just had this really internalized macho thing, you know. Do you, so what was, what was your sexuality like in your 20s? If you... I mean, that's what it was. It was like I wasn't out of the closet, but I've only ever, my desires have always been this way. I've never had any sexual fantasies that didn't involve BDSM, didn't involve, you know, uh, male submission and female dominance, you know, uh-huh. so, um, so, so I would like go to, I would go out to clubs and stuff. I'd go looking for this stuff, but then at the same time, 
you know, because I, I was closed off about it and I wasn't open with my friends, uh, that makes it a lot harder, yeah. you know? And then when I came out, which only happened because I started writing about it. And so people started reading stuff I had written and figuring it out. And so mm-hmm. I just kind of came out that way. And then, and then it got dating got, got, I mean, dating was always hard for me, but it got a lot easier because then I was meeting, once you're out of the closet, it's much easier to meet people who maybe share your, your desires. Yeah, they'll, you know, they'll that helps meet a lot. you halfway. They'll come really find helps, you a little bit. Yeah. really helps, you know, because it's people that are hardwired for this stuff. Um, there, there's, a, there's not that many men, there's not that many women either. You know, it's like actually on all sides, you know, even all these guys paying professional dom, dominatrices, other clients, a lot of them aren't hardwired. You uh-huh. know, it's not like this is their full sexuality. You know, for most people, kink is just a plugin that they download. Like yeah. you're like a browser and you're like, oh, I'm just going to download the kink plugin and I'm going to add this to my repertoire of like sexual. Yeah, I would say that's how like that's how it is for me. Most it's people, like a f- yeah. fun extra. Yeah, it's, it's a bonus. <laughs> I, like to, I like to think of it as like, so, you know, if you're vanilla, if you're like, you like regular sex and like you can, you can download all these plugins. Yeah. But if, and you know, you're like Safari, right? And then, but if you're gay, <laughs> you're like Firefox, you know, uh-huh. like, like no matter what plugins you download, you're not going to hook up with Safari. You know, you're uh-huh. a different browser uh-huh. and nobody expects you to hook up outside of your browser. Right. And you download all your plugins and so forth. You know, you get your foot fetish and your latex and whatever. But for some people, like the kink is their entire sexuality. Right. There isn't any, they're, they're you know, they're Chrome. They're entirely uh-huh. different. It's not a plugin. It's, it's all of it. You know, so for me, when someone like ties me up and like, you know, sticks me with a needle or something or like, you know, any number of things. I'm like, okay, for me, that's sex. Mm-hmm. You know, that's literally my full sexuality, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so if you were going to define it, it'd be like hetero, submissive. It's tricky, you know. I mean, I, I, I used to like think of myself as queer because uh-huh. I'm like, okay, well, that's what queer is, right? Queer is like you don't fit in the box. Right. Like, does it make sense that I, to call myself a straight male, you know? And like, yeah. even even in my mind, even sexually, even in a relationship, I always think of myself as a female, right? That's so, so that's, interesting. you know, and I often, even though I'm not attracted to men, I think of the women I'm with as men when we're sexual together, right? So, uh, but then I thought, that's not, I don't know that that's the reason the word, the, the word queer was like created. It's not for like my convenience, you know? And that ultimately, you know, yeah, I think I'm a straight male. I think I'm mm-hmm. a straight white cis male who has a very narrow band of sexuality, who cross dresses and is very mm-hmm. kinky. But I didn't want to take up that mantle because I feel like sometimes people like hide behind it because they don't want to like, like especially cis white guys don't want to take responsibility for what, what, what their group has done to the culture as a whole. And so it's like, oh, but wait, but not me. I'm like, I'm queer or I'm a sissy. So I don't have to, uh-huh. you know, deal with that. And I'm kind of, I'm kind of over that. I kind of don't, I'm getting a little tired of hearing that from people. You know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah. I don't want to hide behind that stuff. Oh my God. You just blew my mind. But part of uh, wh- why hetero queer, it's hard or maybe was hard to put yourself in one of those boxes or whatever because of these gender stereotypes that mm-hmm. aren't really real. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, the, I mean, I grew up in such, like I said, such a macho environment. I grew up in like the gender stereotype, and it was really, I'm still unraveling it. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. Like, I think for, and and this is probably what so much, so much of our problems with politics these days. You know, where it's like, you know, like a lot of people that are like really liberal and like and want everybody to understand everything and it's like well they were like they were thinking they were starting to think about this when they were like 10 years old you know uh-huh. they, they grew up in educated households they went to private schools you know to a you know a small good college right and like you come out of the group homes and go to a big state school and it's like I feel like I didn't even start thinking like a human being until I was like 20 years old you know and yeah. so it's like when people I'm like 10 years behind in my development I'm just like trying to figure out you know like I want to do the correct things but I was raised by wolves, you know what I mean? And so it's like it's hard to always be politically correct because uh-huh. you don't always even know what, what that is, you know? And now for a brief word from our sponsor. Listen, we all need to take a little bit better care of ourselves. And taking care of our mental health is no exception. Am I right? I'm right. That's why today's sponsor, Talkspace, the online therapy company, makes it easy to connect with an experienced licensed therapist handpicked just for you for as little as $32 a week. Using Talkspace, you can send your therapist text, audio, and video messages whenever you want, or even do a live video chat. You want to vent about work or family or talk through something that's been on your mind? No problem. Your therapist is ready to help. So to sign up or learn more, go to Talkspace.com reality. And as a very special offer for our listeners, you can use coupon code REALITY to get $30 off your first month and show your support for this podcast. That's Talkspace.com slash reality, promo code REALITY, Talkspace. It's therapy for how we live today. And now back to our interview. Oh my God, so interesting. So, okay, when did you lose your virginity in like the traditional sense. Oh, I was like 15. Yeah, 15. I was just some girl in the home. I mean, the great thing- But it was uneventful for you or? It was, I didn't, I did not have an orgasm, uh-huh. you know? I didn't really like it, right? Uh-huh. Like, I thought I was gonna like it, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, for years, especially when I was stripping, I kept trying to like have forces like vanilla sex, or I kept having sex with people and just like, and I was like, what's wrong with me? Like, I just, I mean, I, I knew I had these desires, uh-huh. You know, I had all these fantasies based around BDSM, and I knew I, I wanted physical closeness, you know? Like, I would go home with people because I wanted to cuddle with them. I don't want to get into bed, and, like, I want, I just wanted that. I was so, so desperate for just, like, physical closeness. Uh-huh. And, and of course, if you go home with a woman, she actually... They expect you to have sex with them, actually. Like, you know, <laughs> like... like yeah, they don't, usually. And, and I, even if you tell them that you're not, that's not what you're looking for trying to do they don't actually believe you uh-huh. it turns out so i ended up like having sex all the time and not when i didn't want to you know oh man yeah and i said like, uh you know so when did um, you finally get to have lose your bdsm virginity or you know when did you uh, get to have the kind of sexual experience that you i think desired? i was 17 or 18 when i saw a pro dom for the first time and she was actually an escort who was just, you know, whatever, right? And it was like $50 for a half an hour, you know, uh-huh. it was amazing. But then the first time it was like real was when I just like met someone, you know, 
in Amsterdam. I was in Amsterdam uh -huh. and I was like 21 maybe or 22 in a and I just went to one of those clubs. Uh-huh. And I saw this woman and she was like I was already working as a stripper. I was very fit. Like all I did was exercise. I was like 21, 22. She was probably 45, uh -huh. maybe 50. And she was like beating on some guy. She looked like just like a man. I mean, she just had close cropped hair and and then I saw her later, and I was like, oh, I saw you at the club. And she was like, oh, what were you doing at that club? And she, and she was in town for some event. She brought me back to her hotel room. She tied me to the bed. She put a hood on me. She ran a knife up all over my body, and I was terrified. I know what was going on. And I think she stuck a candle in my ass, you know? <laughs> like, I don't even know. All, the whole thing was so crazy, and there was no communication, really. And I remember I got up in the middle of the night or something, and she was sleeping, and I snuck out, you know? And I went straight to Berlin. It. And then, I don't know, for like months, I'm just masturbating, thinking about this woman and this night. And then I, and I went back to Amsterdam looking for her, but I couldn't find her. Oh, my God. That's so fascinating. That was, that was my first real experience, you know. And then, uh, yeah, the knife stuff is so fascinating to me because you almost lost or did you lose your job over you had a relationship and, and there was a lot of cutting I, right. I think I heard you on a podcast and you were like, my life, it was, yeah. I was like high from the sex, but yeah. my life was a crumbling. That's true. Yeah. No, my relationship, uh, I was dating Lizette, who you mentioned. Uh-huh. And yeah, we were, that was like my most passionate, my most intense BDSM relationship. And my first time with a married woman, you know, they were polyamorous. I met her husband and everything. Uh-huh. But she would you know, keep a knife by the side of the bed and she would just cut me all the time. And, um, <clears throat> and I was just walking around in the days and I like, I was teaching at Stanford, right? I just forgot. I just forgot even that I was teaching a <laughs> class and, you know, didn't even show up. And I, you know, I got fired from teaching at Stanford because I was just literally acting like a drug addict. Yeah. You know, all my actions and, but you know, I mean, I'm like that anyway, so I get, I get really wrapped up in things, and then mm -hmm. I am very obsessive, and uh, yeah. Were you in love with her? Oh my god! I mean, you know, everybody has their own definition of love, right? And like, I probably had—I'd probably venture to say that that everybody's definition of love is correct. That you actually do like like sexuality, like gender. You also get to define what love is. Sure. You know, um, but so I—but uh, based on that, I would say yes. Definitely. I mean, if being in love is like being unable to think about anybody or anything else and wanting to just completely dedicate yourself to someone. And I mean, when I would go over to her house in the morning, I'd probably go over to her house two or three times a week. And the mm -hmm. entire, for hours the night before, I'd be researching recipes and like figuring out what I was going to make her for breakfast when Aww. I got there. You know? <laughs> That's very sweet. Um, I mean, it was, but it was insane. Like I have this tattoo in my arm. And it's kind of a, a it's a takeoff on the leather pride flag. Uh huh. Um, but I've been thinking about getting it for a year or two when I met her, and we went on like one date, and I mentioned the tattoo I was thinking about. She said, "Oh, you should get it." So the next day I just got it, you know. <laughs> and not only that, after our very first time meeting her, and this is a married woman, I had already decided to leave San Francisco, and I sell at my place. Uh huh. And I called the guy who was subletting it, and I was like, "Yeah, I'm not going." Like after just meeting this person. And she's married. I don't even know. Does she care? Does she want to even see me again? I don't know. How did you meet her? I met her through uh, bondage.com. 
which was, uh, it's not there anymore. I don't know what it is now, but it used to be kind of like a face. It used to be kind of like, I guess okay, what, what Cupid for more like what FetLife is now. It's not really a dating site, but there was like discussion boards and so uh-huh. forth. You so know, you can kind of like get acquainted with someone, but there's kind no of, yeah outcome that you're looking for. It wasn't a dating site. I mean, obviously, I had an outcome I was looking for. Right. You know. Well, you got yeah. And <laughs> you know, and the next year and a half were totally miserable because of it. But um, that was an intense, really highly charged relationship. Uh huh. You know. Are you in a relationship right now? I'm not. No, I broke up with my my girlfriend in um, December, and actually, that was like when I decided to move to Los Angeles. Ah. Like I'd been in New York for three or four years, and but I really want to like try to get in TV writing. Uh-huh. And I've been doing this scripted web series, Driven, yeah. which we talked about. And um, and then we broke up, and the next day I was like, "Why am I in New York? Like, you know what I mean?" So right. I hadn't even really right. Like, shouldn't That's, I? There's nothing t- tying if me I, here. If I want to write for television, shouldn't I be in Los Angeles? Yeah, you know. So here I am in Los Angeles. Welcome. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> You're not loving it? I don't know. I'm figuring it out. It's hard. Yeah. It takes a minute, I think. Um, you have, I mean, you wrote about Cherry. I mean, you've got a bunch of film work, at least, mm-hmm. under your belt. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'd be thinking people would be wanting to meet with you yeah, like crazy. Yeah, they just, they're just dying to meet with me. <laughs> Call him, you Chaka guys. Block, Jesus. you know. <laughs> one after another. So the intersection of BDSM sexuality and your emotional needs, and you see that kind of, in, especially in the Driven, a little bit in that first episode. I don't know. It's, yeah, there's something about this kind of like hardcore sex meets like the cuddle, like you were talking about mm-hmm. the cuddling needs. Do you find that always in the same person? Uh, not always, no. I mean, I've thought about that. Like, could I just do BDSM with this person over mm-hmm. here who is more of, like, a fantasy, right? Because this is a person that doesn't break role. She's my mistress, and that's it, right? Mm-hmm. And then maybe you could have this, like, cuddling with this other person, right? And that's really a friendship, though, right? I mean... Is it, or is it, like, romantic? No, Friendships can be pretty cuddly, you okay. know, if especially if it's talked about and uh-huh. everybody's on the same page. I I definitely have had like long periods of time where I've like slept with somebody in their bed, but I you know in pajamas and whatever, and we've just been like cuddle partners. And uh-huh. I stopped doing that, you know, <laughs> because they always they say this is they're okay with this, but they're not actually okay with it. And they always end up dating somebody else, and then that person they date is not okay with me you know the guy that was in their bed right until recently and I just found that you know that didn't work and I you know sometimes some things it's nice not to know uh-huh right like it was nice not it was nice to believe them that they were okay with this situation right and it was unfortunate to figure out that they weren't okay and yeah. that I didn't and that I shouldn't believe them and once you know something you become responsible for your actions so it was more uh, f- for your, if you for tell their me, preservation. Well, for both of ours. Uh-huh. But if you tell me, 
that you're okay with something, but I actually know you're not okay with it, it's actually on me. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because yeah. I because I have the knowledge. I know. I've experienced this before. I've been in multiple situations like this, and I hear what you're saying, and you might even believe it, but I actually I know that you're not okay with it. And it's like we're, we're all responsible for what we do is the yeah. thing. You know, it's really tricky. And there's this thing in people that practice polyamory that um, what I would think of as like unethical polyamory, <laughs> you know, as opposed to ethical polyamory uh-huh. or ethical non-monogamy, which is like you think that as long as you're honest, everything is okay. And it's not, being honest does not inherently make something okay. You know, and nobody can give you permission to be a bad person and to do something that you know is wrong. Right. So you're you know? saying if you can intuit that the other person is not totally... 100% okay with it then yeah if I think I, if I think that they're not going to be happy and I you know and I, have I enough, love this know, view of consent <laughs> you know then I have then I'm responsible you know uh-huh. and so you know you got to put that tail so I don't I don't pursue those relationships anymore and I don't I don't hook up with people who are not kinky uh-huh you know, just period I just don't do it at all right you know and you know yeah so there is this amazing, I mean, during when you're not in a relationship or even when you are, it clearly based on the beginning of our conversation, mm. um, there are pro-dominatrixes that you can go to, right? In right, the interim right. when you're yeah. like seeking. I mean, <laughs> man, you know, if I had a little more money, it'd be a little easier probably. You know, I mean, it's hard being an artist and wanting to see a pro-dom because... It's like three hundred dollars an hour. Is it? And then, like, if I was to see a pro dom now, I would only see somebody who's very specific, right? I would see somebody who is really into like rope bondage and, and like, uh-huh. and so that could even take multiple hours, you know. Uh-huh. And then now you're at six hundred dollars, and it's damn. Yeah, and so it's not that I obviously I ha, I have been a client, and I don't want to uh-huh. pretend like I've never been a client because I think that's also bullshit. There's nothing wrong with being a client, but no. um, maybe if I had more money, I wouldn't try so hard to be in relationships. Maybe I'd just be a client. I don't know, you know. Yeah. Um, I don't think so. I don't know that. I'm not sure that I could really. You know, it's okay. It's okay as like a as a thing to get you through, but uh-huh. I don't know if I'd only want to be a client. There's a level of intimacy that you can only get when you're in a relationship with somebody. Have most of your previous girlfriends, especially the recent like pro doms. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm also had the uh cuddly emotional side or is that rare to find in the same person oh no it's not rare at all no yeah it's like an act it's like a persona it's, it's for the that. dominatrix and then their selves or what no no it's not like that it's like a, um a, 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 a dom a top can be just a very nurturing person who's ah. really touchy-feely and really cuddly and also likes to hurt you and also likes to tell you what to do you know, at like, the same time, like all in one. This is all one person. You know, but at the same time. Yes, at the same time. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah, I mean, there's there it's there's different styles. I mean, it's like jazz, right? There's bebop, there's swing, there's right. fusion. It's like there's all different kinds. But um, most people that I've dated or played with are really nice. Like they're not. There's no meanness to them at all. That's great. You know, and so. Like, I don't get off on being, like, if I'm playing with someone, I don't want them to punish me. I want them to hurt me because they like hurting me. Uh-huh. You oh, know? Oh, yeah. And I want to please them. And then they want to 
pat me on the head and tell me I'm doing a good job. And so we're we're having this really, you know, um, yeah, it's not. I mean, like I've I've had I've had it the other way too, you know, uh, and that can also be good, you know. But usually, the people I've been with, I would say, are, are mostly very nurturing, you uh-huh. know. Um, I mean, people who are tops, you know, doms, they just tend to be like really controlling. They want to control everything. They want like they want you to succeed. They want to like kind of, you know, um, they don't want they don't want to tear you down. Is there a scene? Uh, it doesn't seem like as big of a scene with male pro-doms, right? There are male pro-doms. There's not as many. I mean, they're, most of them are gay or, or ser- service men. Most clients for sex workers are men. There's uh-huh. only a very limited number uh, of female clients for sex that? workers. Well, I mean, there are reasons for that, right? I mean... And it gets really tricky because then you're talking about gender differences. Uh-huh. But there's some, there's a cert, there's a body of research, you know, and some of the things that have come up is that like the most predictable, uh, the easiest way to predict a male desire is hip to waist ratio. Like if they show a man a picture of a woman and then the woman with the with the highest hip to waist ratio, that will will peak the most desire, right? Yeah, like 0.7 or whatever it is. Something yeah. and and whereas like with women, desire often comes from being desired. Ah. You know, and so a man doesn't necessarily need to be desired. So a woman, most women wouldn't enjoy having sex with someone they didn't think liked them or cared about them particularly, you know, or, sure. or they wouldn't want to, like most women wouldn't want to have sex with someone who wasn't attracted to them, etc. And so then you're, you know, this is, this is tricky, right? Because there's a lot of exceptions and sure. gender is very fluid, but... It's, it's, I don't, I don't, I mean, these are some of the reasons, you know, uh-huh. like women don't enjoy, uh, you know, and it, and I've seen, I've read a lot of books on this and seen a lot of studies and it's overall, I mean, one of the things you can take away is that women don't enjoy sex with sex workers the way that men do. Interesting. You know, with a guy, with most men, not all men, uh, it doesn't really matter that the woman's attracted to him or not. Uh-huh. You know, a guy can be with someone who is completely aware is not attracted to him. And it's fine. Really? You know? Yeah, most guys, in the way, the way a guy can be, like, attracted to somebody without even barely knowing them. Uh-huh. And he's either attracted to them or they're not. Whereas a woman can get to know someone and find him not attracted at first and then, find, and then start to be attracted to him later. Yeah, that does ring true. But you don't see that really with men, you know? So um, there's a whole different... I mean, people, some people have said that when you're talking about female and male sexuality, you're literally talking about two different things. Really? But then, you know, really, but then with gender being so fluid, you know, it's really a, a can of worms to even try to get into that or try to say, like, you know something when, you know, but those are some theories you can, you can play with if you want. Totally. <laughs> Do you see an amateur community of, uh, because there have to be women that, that want to be submissive in this, or do you know what I mean? There has to mm-hmm. be the same scene, but is it amateur? Yeah, there's tons of submissive women, right, who want to be dominated. Right. And yeah, it's, and, and they have no problem finding dominant men to top them generally. And it, it's interesting, one of the things I've seen in the community, you know, if a guy like gets really good at BDSM, for instance, if he learns rope and he's really good at tying, uh-huh. 
like you could have this guy looks like an ogre you know he's like five feet tall and like as big around as he is uh-huh. tall you know and and he's surrounded by all these beautiful women because he's really good at rope uh. you know and i've seen that and it's interesting because here's a guy saying okay i know i'm not that attractive what can i offer so i'm gonna learn I how to do this thing real good if i can tie real good <laughs> If you can tie real good, you will have a lot of beautiful people around you who are willing to let you touch them in a lot of ways that uh-huh. you would not get to otherwise. And especially in particular, if you're not creepy about it. Right. You know, and you're like, you're not trying to like fool them into something else. Like you will, you'll be surrounded by beautiful people who want to be tied if you're good at tying. Yeah. That's no, for I, sure. I can imagine. And, and are there different, I mean, I only, my personal experience is just, in my relationships when it's like you said at the beginning it's like the uh what did you call it the download it's an add-on yeah the plug-in plug-in um (laughs) yeah uh so but i'm i'm sure it goes far beyond are there clusters of like people that like rope play Mm -hmm. and knife play and like how many different well i mean certainly the rope community is a specific community i mean there are events that are just about rope there's shibari khan uh-huh. Shibari is Japanese rope bondage, and there's a, so the convention around it in Chicago. You know, there's also people that do pet play. You know, and there's a convention around that too. With like the furries? No, not like furries, but like pretending to be animals and walking around on a leash, and you know. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and that kind of so there there are definitely you know different things. You know, like I'm partic- I'm really into bondage and restraint, and I'm uh-huh. not I'm not really into pain. Uh-huh. You know, I'm really into submission uh, and dominance and power exchange. Um, whereas other people just like they want to be caned, they want to like they're really in like the, the you know right. the, the sadomasochism element, and so definitely different people and different things, which is another thing that makes it tricky. Limiting. Yeah, because even within your community, you still got to find a match, you know. Right. Uh, what sites do you recommend if if people want to get into this? Well, FetLife is the best site. FetLife is like Facebook for kinky people. Okay. Yeah. FetLife is great, I think. It's really uh, taken a lot of mystery out of stuff. And like, and you can see, oh, does this person know people that I know? And it's great for finding events uh-huh. that are near you. And so like, there are like meetup, yeah, a there, lot of meetup There's like munches, which are like a meetup type thing where you just like go to a cafe and there's all these kinky people and it's called a munch. Uh-huh. Um, I love that. And then there are... <laughs> And then there are like places like Threshold here in Los Angeles, and uh, and some other places, and that you know that have like parties, uh-huh. you know, um, or and and classes also, and so you can go to those, you know, or there's like the Devil Mask Society or the LA Rope Dojo, which are really both those places are just focused on rope and learning how to tie. Cool. So there's. You know, I go to I go to all those things. I'm 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 frequently the rope demo model. You know, so like <laughs> if someone's like trying to learn how to tie, then I'm the person that they're learning on. You know, so I've been in that role a lot. That's rad. I got to tell you, my I frequently have a co-host, Steve Hernandez, mm. and he was so sad. We had like a little miscommunication, and he was so sad that he wasn't going to be here. So ho- hopefully, maybe sometime you can come back. Anytime. And we can do another one of these. Thank you so much. Yeah, for sure. It was great. Thanks for having me. Bye, guys. Today's episode of Reality Bites was sponsored by Talkspace, the online therapy company that believes that therapy should be affordable, confidential, and convenient. A Talkspace therapist can help put you on the path to a happier life. For a special offer for our listeners, 
visit Talkspace.com reality and use promo code reality for $30 off your first month. Again, that's Talkspace.com reality, promo code reality. Come on, get happy. <laughs> Check you guys next time.